Welcome to LOA Today. I'm Walt Thiessen. With me today are Louis D'Souza and Anne-Marie Young. This is your Daily Dose of Happy. We are so happy you decided to join us today. And we are especially happy that Anne-Marie is back and she's healthy again after dealing with COVID. So welcome back. I'm glad to see you up and smiling and feeling better again, Anne-Marie. Thank you all. It's good to feel healthy again. And I know Anne Marie, was it was it COVID or the new variant thingy? I don't know. I didn't get oh. told it was Omicron, but um I I I really don't know. Okay. <laughs> well and also you you had other members of the family who had it too, which kind of does show how it's uh, pretty viral. Um but I take it everybody is coming through it okay? Yeah, my husband still can't smell or taste anything. Um mm. it's not a bad thing with my cooking, so <laughs> oh my god you and my mom <laughs> yeah that's not fair really to say to my say about my mom because she's passed on but she would have said it if she were here so i think maybe it's, uh, <laughs> to give you an idea the first time that i brought louise home now this was when my parents lived on the lake in virginia so it was a great place to bring her to meet the family right um but first time we we I brought her there. Uh, Louise is a good cook. And I warned her about how bad my mom was at cooking. Really, she's not, she was not very good at all. She, you know, she didn't burn a whole lot of stuff, but a lot of it was overcooked. She didn't know how to handle uh, seasonings or anything like that. So let's just say I didn't have any kind of an education as I was growing up about how to be a good cook. I had a fabulous education on how not to appreciate food. But other than that, I really didn't have a whole lot. But when I met Louise and I, and she was a good cook, oh my God, it really is true. The way to a man's heart is through his stomach. It wasn't my case. That was for sure. But I warned her about it as we're going down. And when we got there, Louise, actually on the way, Louise suggested, well, why don't we make dinner for them? Um, it's kind of a nice way we can give an easy gift and, um, I'm sure they'll appreciate the upgrade and so forth. So I said, yeah, it's a good idea. So we got there and we, um, she she offered to make the, the dinner, and when she went into the kitchen, the first thing my mom said to her was, now, you can use anything you want in the kitchen. Don't worry about it. Don't ask. You can't do, do anything wrong as far as I'm concerned. I don't want you to feel like I'm one of those moms who's just going to be hovering over you saying, oh, why are you doing it this way? I'm not like that. And Louise appreciated that. And then she asked uh, uh, if she had any secrets. And my mom said, yes, I do have one secret. Don't try to do everything at once. Do something and then sit down. And then get up and do something else and sit down. And then do, get up and do something else and sit down. And Louise has considered that to be one of the best pieces of kitchen advice that she ever got. So even if you're a bad cook, you can still have something good to contribute. Oh, I love that. Yeah. <laughs> so just thought I'd throw that out there. Anyway, well, we're glad to have you back. And we're glad that your family's on the mend. Louis is a little bit, uh, a little bit jealous because he's said many times he's been trying to get COVID just to, to see if he can get it because he doesn't think he can get it. He's just so strong with his vibration. So he's a little bit, I mean, it's just like a little tongue in cheek, but he, he's a little jealous just a bit. He's not saying anything right now. So that I, I know I'm hitting that up. <laughs> okay. Um, anyway, I want to tell you guys about something that has been happening with me over the last week or so. As you guys all know, and uh, I'm, I was almost ready to make the announcement today that, yes, we're on uh, for the summit that I'm putting together and that, Anne-Marie, you've offered to help with, and I'm also now getting some other help from people. Um, but an interesting thing happened starting about a week ago. I kind of hinted on it a little bit during the podcast, but I didn't really go into details, in part because I was still trying to figure it out myself, and I didn't know what to say about it. Uh, you'll recall, Amory, I'm sure you'll know because you've been through it. Uh, when you go through the Taya boot camp, one of the things that they do is they have you identify what they call your three root transgressors, three things usually from very young age that uh, perhaps are still leading to cases being played in your head, getting in the way of, of manifestations that you want to make and so on and so forth. And my root transgressor, as I have let the world know far and wide since the beginning, was that my family had a long history of bad dealings in business, just not being very good at it, no successes, a little, a little bit of chiseling on the side. You know, um, my grandfather was a bit of a slumlord, so not a really good family track record. And, and the stream, they said, this isn't for everybody else. This is just for you. But we're going to ask that you call it your family curse, which was ironic because I don't believe in curses. 
Um, and I said so, and they said, yeah, but just, just consider it a curse. Well, I think I understand why they're saying that because I thought I had completely rooted it out through the tire program. I thought that I had detuned it in Kaya ease. And yet it came back in the, in the sense that about a week ago, I started feeling the same kind of angst I used to feel whenever I started a new enterprise to the point where it was debilitating. It was so debilitating that literally for I'm looking at in my mind back at last week, I don't think there was a single day last week where I could get more than an hour's worth of work done toward the sun. I was just so emotionally held back, which is very much against my nature because I'm the kind of guy who likes to dive in and get it done yesterday. And so it's particularly frustrating for me to go through that experience. But here I was going through it again. And meanwhile, I mean, I had like kind of mapped out, I, I need to get this done by this date and this done by that date, you know, so that I could be ready for the summit that is scheduled for uh, January 18th and 19th, next a week from Tuesday and Wednesday. And I was losing my deadlines. I was blowing through them. And by the time Friday came around, I was kind of in a semi-panic mode because I was now behind schedule. I mean, I was hoping to have everything rolled out by now and it's not rolled out right now. It's going to be, it's going, I've, I've gotten some help and it's going to uh, uh, get rolled out within the next day or so. But I was in a panic about it. Now, I wasn't showing it on the show, but the reason was I didn't know what the source of it was. It's only in the last 24 to 48 hours that I really realized this ties back to what the stream called my family curse. And I started to recognize all the threads of it. Yeah, I've experienced these threads before, you know, I'm piecing it all together in my mind. I'm talking about it with my wife and so on and so forth. And meanwhile, the clock's ticking, tick, 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 tick. We're running out of time here. Well, ultimately, there were a number of things that made a difference. But what really made the biggest difference was I reached out for help. And I, and I wasn't really clear in my mind where I wanted to ask for help. But I finally realized I needed to get some, some help from professionals who have done these kinds of programs before. I ended up reaching out to um, a website many people will recognize, Upwork.com. You can find a lot of very good professionals there. And I found two marketing experts, both women here in the United States, and they are just jumping in and they're helping me piece this thing together, the, 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 doing the last steps that need to be done and so forth. And the moment that I got them on board helping, and I didn't have a lot of money to spend either. I mean, I'm, they're basically both of them working under normal wage, what they normally get paid just to help out, which was really, really nice of them. Um, but once that happened, once I started getting that help, a lot of the anxiety went away. I can't say it's a hundred percent gone, but 90%, about 90% gone, something like that. And there is something new about this because in the past, rather than asking for help, I probably would have just sunk with the ship. I probably would have just gone down with a ship and the whole thing would have just fallen apart. This time I asked for help. Why did that happen? I think it's because of the work I've been doing and I finally allowed myself to do it. I don't have a better explanation than that, mm. but I, I thought I'd share it just because it's, well, I, I share everything about my story with, with what my journey has been, but I don't know. It's kind of like an example of you grow, you grow and you get better over time. Even when you've had a, a bad history, you know, that you, you grow out of that history. So have you guys ever had anything along the lines of what I'm describing? Mm. I've, yeah, I mean, I agree with you. I think since I've graduated boot camp, I have started to ask for help. Whereas before I found that very difficult and not that it's easy now, but I certainly ask for help a lot more now but um I think Louis actually reminds me of one of my old transgressors and <laughs> okay lucky you Louis <laughs> yeah no in a nice way in a nice way um but that was interesting during in the show because um just because you're both highly intelligent and you know that was my thing. I was always told that I was more dumb than my brother or whatever when I was in school. So I always had this thing that I was stupid and I get intimidated by intelligence. 
So that wasn't Louis, that was me. And actually, I've learned so much from Louis. Um, so I had to talk that through in my head and journal that. And why is it I feel so small compared to people with intelligence? So I had that just joining the show. Interesting, too, because lack of intelligence is about the last thing I would think of to accuse you of. From my perspective, <laughs> you're very intelligent. But it just goes to show it. Logic has nothing to do with it. It's an mm, emotion. Yeah, nothing. But again, it's one of those things. It's your worthiness, isn't it? Because when you've been told that somebody is constantly better than you and constantly more intelligent mm. and you don't have what they have, then you deem yourself in a way. And actually, now I, I don't think I'm unintelligent anymore. <laughs> I, I, you know, I have a little more that. belief in that. <laughs> and, you know, I was quite lucky in the fact that the transgressor that um, Lou reminds me of, I still adore and I did adore, you know, it was somebody who was very kind to me. They just... It was sometimes what, difficult What's the to definition of transgressor? Transgressor is somebody or an incident in your life or somebody that's that's um, triggered something in the past. Negative or positive? It's never negative, but it can feel negative. Transgressor is somebody who triggers something positive in your life. Well, no, it's, it's positive. You turn it into something positive. Oh, okay. So transgressor I mean? is somebody who triggers something that's negative in your life. That's impacted that you turn you. into a positive yeah. if you're strong enough and able and yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. And it it was because my you, it's my uncle who's so so clever. Um, but I always used to struggle to relate to him. But actually, now I think I have the strongest relationship with him out of the family. Wow, mm. nice. Because so, I just see the other values. Yeah, there's, there's two things I wanted to bring up, one for Walt and one for you. Uh, let's start with you, Anne-Marie, trans, transgressor, um, intelligence. So society has enhanced the virtue of intelligence way beyond where it should, could, would be and is of any major import in the spiritual arena. So society has said, you, you know, it's good to be intelligent. They created the IQ, which was based on your intellect. Um, and then later on, they started to realize that EQ is much more important than IQ. Mm. Um, so the world hasn't caught up to that yet. Mm. Um, so some of the psychologists have put this out and uh, some of the companies are jumping on it, but Many people are not fully on the EQ, the emotional uh, quotient. Or, uh, and if you break down the emotional quotient, it's, it's um, more in relation to people who are focusing more on what they want than what they don't want. Very simply, because if you do that, you feel better. And if you feel better, then you make other feel better. And, you know, people work better and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. So there's the law of attraction ripple effect that goes through all that. Um, that's just something I wanted to bring up. Uh, you're way beyond the stage of thinking intelligence is is um, of the level of import which society used to give it. Um, uh, that's just what I wanted to say on that. Walt, what I wanted to ask you is if you wanted to break down the word curse from all your knowledge and what you understand now, how would you define it? That's a great question. I mean, I don't give curses much attention, so I, I don't have a quick answer for you. I would call how it would a pattern. A, curse? a pattern? And yeah. how would you break down the word pattern? What's Sorry, a pattern well, made I up of? completely saw your word there. <laughs> I'm, I'm sitting here speechless, so fill in the blank. I don't know. <laughs> I'm not sure how I would define it. Um, Hello, Sam. Um, I know part of it for me is that, like I said, I, I just don't really believe in curses, although I've had interesting stories told to me, including from you, Louis. You, you, you told a story very recently that was quite interesting along this line. But uh, for, for myself, I, the idea of a curse is just, I don't know, it's just, I, I think of 
you know, some, some, I don't know, evil person on the side casting this thing at you <laughs> and just kind of takes you over and like, I don't believe Which it. is, which is specifically why I'm asking you this question. <laughs> so I'll, I'll break it down in, in my, in my understanding. A curse is just an act of vibration. Okay. Sure. And let's say it's a family act of vibration. Uh, it's a hereditary act of vibration. It's an How interesting way of looking at it. Because okay. I certainly agree that there is a, that, that's kind of the way I was thinking about what they called the curse, that it was, in my own case, it was a family vibration, a family pattern that mm -hmm. kind of got handed down vibrationally, for a lack of a better term, because I don't really think it gets passed down genetically. I don't think it really gets passed down um, in most of the ways people associate. I'm not even sure it gets passed down um, environmentally, although it might. Um, but I mean, I can point to family members who are, are in my family tree who I never even met who had stuff go on and that apparently has contributed to this. So, you know, I guess you don't have to be in direct contact with them in order to pick up the curse. <laughs> um, so if you want to yeah. break that down in another way, there's a saying in English, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. Yes. So we do tend to pick up the act of vibration from our parents and it gets integrated into us as we grow up as children around them. Uh, but also we have to take into consideration the fact that from a soul perspective or source perspective, we chose those parents. So we chose that act of vibration to come into and we knew very clearly, I guess, I mean, I can't see it being any other way that we would, the apple wouldn't fall, fall from the tree, fall, fall far from the tree, um, that we would pick up some of the vibration of our parents. Um, then as you become more aware, you realize that you can break out of those completely and they need, to, they do not need to have any, um, constraint or effect on your life because you now, understand how life works you understand how the law of attraction works you understand that this is an act of vibration from your past you understand that you can carve your future which is what you said you went off to this to get some help now the help comes from a person who's got an act of vibration who doesn't believe in all this who doesn't right. have that and then you lean on that act of vibration to move forward by by taking that on um, and moving forward to go to where you want to be, which is um, having the power and confidence to create a successful business by yourself or with yourself or around yourself or with those around you, etc. Um, that, that's all I wanted to put on, really. Well, I, I think that is accurate. And I would add that the experience of trying to, I mean, let me take a step back. Um, you mentioned how this this is a, a case of knowing in advance before you even come into this life, you know, what vibrations your parents have, knowing you're going to incur that vibration yourself and so on and so forth. Um, there, there's a term for that. I think it's called soul contracts, um, which I have, I've always been kind of on the fence about soul contracts. Like, yeah, that could be, I'm not so sure. Maybe, I don't know. Um, and is that the case in this, in, in this instance? Uh, possibly. I don't really know for sure. What I do know is this. If I did come into this life with the idea, with the express idea of trying to reverse these things, that fits what I have tried to do. Like you said, I tried to do it myself. I tried to fix this myself. And what I'm learning is the biggest mistake I could make would be to try to fix it myself. You just do it. It's got to be on me. I'm the one who's doing it. I'm the one who's going to make this all better because all that really ended up doing was throwing, putting me into a tizzy. I, I, I was spinning out of control. So I guess my um, first thought is, my, my first thought is when, when you're trying to fix something like this and you find yourself, you find it not really working, get help. Ask for help because like you pointed out, the other person who's coming in to help doesn't have that vibration. And that's going to make a big difference. Certainly made a big difference for me in the last couple of days. I can tell you, I mean, seriously, on Saturday, I was in a, I was in a state. I was in a state 
like you wouldn't believe. I, I was depressed. I was frustrated. Uh, I was using my tire tools to climb out. I'd climb out and 10 minutes later, I'd be back in. I mean, it was, it was not a pretty picture. <laughs> and then I asked for help. Um, first I asked my wife and I, I realized she really wasn't the right person to help me with it. So then I was kind of casting around, who can I ask for help? Who, who can I trust to really help me? And I realized I needed somebody who was a professional marketer. And so I reached out and I got two, two for the price of one. And that is when everything started to settle in my mind. My emotions started to settle. Um, I felt like on Saturday, I felt like the whole thing was going to fall apart. By today, I felt like it's all coming back together again. So I guess that's my message for the day. Don't try to do it yourself. Get some help. But also, who starts things perfectly? You know, if you start a business, you're always going to come up on teething problems as you start things. That's how you learn. That's how you grow. Yeah. This is your first summit as well. Yeah. And I've started stuff in the past. I, it's not like I don't have a history of doing that. But under certain circumstances for certain people, that doesn't necessarily matter. Mm. Didn't matter that I've, I've started other businesses in the past. I experienced this. So I had to deal with this. So when it comes to I can't help myself... I need to go to somebody else. Now, who made the decision to go to somebody else? I did. So, did you help yourself? Indirectly, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, it, it, it's the whole concept that, and, and this is a, a tough one. You don't love somebody else. That's actually impossible. Okay, you can't just leave that one lying. <laughs> <laughs> what, what is actually happening? You're using somebody else, maybe, to stimulate a feeling inside you, which you'd, you call or term or define as love. Okay. So... Often in life, we, we want to be fulfilled by somebody else. So we go to them for love or them for love. Or I love them. I love them. You use other people and experiences and, and you, usually other people, animals, to, to get this feeling of love. Now, of course, other people have their own agenda, don't they? So they may not play your game of wanting to love you, etc. Or they may love you and then not love you. So you're love inside you goes up and down and up and down and is controlled by that outside you. As you become more spiritually aware, you start realizing that love is just something inside you and that you can just fill yourself with love, be love, and then maybe the right person will come along and, you know, because you're now full of love and you're, you're not reliant or you're not codependent, which is the word the psychologists like using codependent on something outside you for this love. And even if you touch somebody, you're not touching somebody, you're using the senses on the end of your fingers to feel them. You can't touch somebody in, 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 in a sense. It's the same concept as you can't love somebody. It is an internal dialogue. It is an internal job. It's an ins inside job. And once you start getting that, you start realizing that you have the power to experience these things and feel them without needing something outside yourself. And when you are like that, you attract the most amazing people to you, people that aren't codependent, people that are strong and powerful, people that are just looking for, for somebody who is exuberant and powerful and full of love. Um, and then you get the, the, the two people and they're allowing each other to do whatever they want to and have no restrictions on each other or demands or you need to act like this so I can feel better. None of that stuff goes on at all. And it's all uh, in a very, very different world. And of course, even my relationship with my wife, we never started off like that. But over the years, it's grown and grown and grown to the degree that 
We both have this huge amount of love. I mean, I have a huge, huge amount of love and respect for her, but I don't try to control her or manipulate her or force her to do anything. And slowly but surely it's got reciprocated and there's, there's a relationship going on, which is on a, on a worldly different level, um, that it's very difficult to explain to anybody. Um, to say I love her deeply is not accurate. To say I have a great, uh, love uh, and confidence within myself and appreciation for her is more accurate, but it's very difficult to, to try and explain this to people. It's so foreign in, in many respects. Part of the challenge here, I think, is that different people are going to have different definitions of the word love. Absolutely. So maybe we should start there. When, when you're talking about how you really can't love somebody else, how you can really only love yourself. What no, I'm not that? saying that. All right, then you, you, you clarify what you said. And then what I'm trying to get you to do is to define what you mean by love <laughs> when, you, when you give your definition. Um, so I'm using a word that society uses and society uses a word which is so screwed up on so many levels. And the word love is thought of more in terms of lack of love, loss of love, or, or, or not enough love than the terms of the exuberance, the passion and the enjoyment of something. So uh, the second set of um, parameters is what I would start defining love as. And, but it's, it's something that happens inside you. As I say, you may use somebody else as an excuse to have this great, amazing love. And what is happening is, is that feeling of love is what I would call alignment. It's alignment with source. All right. That's the closest I can get to kind of explaining what I believe love actually is. Love is alignment with source, not with the other person. Maybe the other person's source, but not the other person, not the physical manifestation of that. I, I think there is one area about what you talked about that I need to hone in on because I think we need to be careful. Because uh, you referred to looking outside of yourself as, as being codependence. And I think codependence has a much more specific meaning than that. Um, I'm not a psychologist. As, as I say, I'm not a psychologist either. Yeah. I use the word which... Um, I would describe or try to explain as that if the person didn't love you after they did love you and everything was going great and they took that away from you, you wouldn't feel good anymore. That That's the kind of thing. So in other words, your love is dependent on the reciprocation. And that's the only kind of concept I'm trying to if codependent and the psych psychological reasoning or wording for that is different than Explain yeah, it away. That's fine. I don't mind. The psychological definition is more along the lines of being manipulative toward victimhood in, in some sense. And I don't have this. Oh, okay. It's, it's okay. more along that line. So, yeah. Um, I think what you're probably describing more is rather than codependence, it's outside dependence. Okay. Quite happy to go with that. Okay. Um, because I did use a word which I didn't fully understand, so I have to. Oh, that's fine. Yeah, <laughs> hey, we, I do that all the time. Uh, <laughs> the fact is that this that we we live in a physical world, and we we chose to live in this world it, it is what we believe. If if we believe that we came here deliberately, and I, I do think we came here deliberately. I, I'm still not sure about soul contracts, but I do think we came here deliberately, and in so doing we decided we were going to interact with that world. And however one defines love, I would have to say that we express love to and within that world. Now, what you're suggesting is all that love is within us, that it really is not coming from another person, if I understood what you were saying correctly. Yep, absolutely. That may be true. If love, as you defined it, is accurately defined as alignment with source energy, then there's one area that creates a little bit of confusion for me. So I'm going to need to 
kind of refine that with you. When you say that love is alignment with source energy, is love itself part of source energy or is it just the alignment with source energy? Interesting question. I think it's an important one and I'll tell you why. Because if it's mm -hmm. part of source energy, then I don't think you can claim accurately that there is never going to be any love coming from outside of yourself because everybody's connected to source. Mm -hmm. Now, it may come through yourself. That may be the way you experience it. Mm -hmm. But it's going to come from somebody else who, in a physical sense, is outside of yourself because they're also connected to source energy. I was just watching Amory, both of us, scratching the right-hand side of our right <laughs> eye at uh, almost identical time when I was thinking, oh, MG. <laughs> <laughs> what have we wrought here today? And that guy's his love. <laughs> <laughs> All you need is love. <laughs> <laughs> so I was just uh, thinking, Louis, if you've got somebody who, say, for example, my daughter hated herself, didn't feel any love for herself, but I still loved her. How does that work in that theory? Well, I hate myself. All it's doing is I'm shutting myself off from source. Mm. Okay. So you're um, shutting yourself off from the love. You loving her means you love your source. And you're in alignment with source. She's out of alignment with source. That's okay. pretty simple. It. Yeah. We start trying to confuse it when we want to project something onto somebody else. Yeah. Because I love you. You must love yourself or whatever. You know, that, that wanting them to be, do have some other experience other than they believe they're experiencing is manipulative. Um, even if it is about love, you know, you should love yourself more. You shouldn't do anything, I'd say, you know, do what you feel is right. <clears throat> and if you need to go through what you don't want for a while, that's going to help you become clear of what you do want. So mm -hmm. um, being consciously aware of how important first that first step is, knowing what you don't want and appreciating and having respect for it, um, then it becomes easier to watch a loved one suffer. Say more about that. That's an important point I think you're making, but we need a little more explanation than that. I don't know how I can make it clearer. Um, <laughs> that like, yeah. you're, you're watching their growth. Yeah, I mean, if uh, I never do for my kids what they can do for themselves. Okay, it's not 100% true. Um, I'll do it if I want to. But if I don't want to, I won't. <laughs> so, you know, if they want a sandwich, I say, go make it yourself. You know, why should I do it? You know, and, and, and then it's painful for them to get up there, go cut the bread, make it and et cetera. But out of that comes, Ooh, I actually really like my daughter really enjoys cooking now. And she's a very good cook. So out of what she didn't want, she got an appreciation for, for cooking and making things really nice and tasty. Um, and she grew. So if you, if you're prepared as a parent to stand back and let them suffer a bit, go through what they don't want for a while, you can really, really help your family in such ways and means. I mean, a lot of people think I'm rather cruel to my kids, uh, parents well, who, you who are. don't I mean, know me well and, <laughs> and all the rest of oh, it. Louis, you make them make their own sandwiches. What kind of father are you? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> At three years old, they climb onto the, the washing machine, go up, <laughs> grab some bread, tear it off, and smear some butter on it. <laughs> yeah, I make them do it. <laughs> Have made them do it. Um, but, Child you know, it's, it's a lot more than that. It's a lot, lot more than that. Um, you know, I ask, I ask them to take responsibility on all different shapes and forms. I give them a lot more responsibility. I, you know, I give them keys, come and go as you want. Um, from, from pretty young age. Um, I was so impressed. Um, Eloise, my, well, my six year old now, but she was three years old then, I think, or four. She, um, I was so proud of her because she managed to put the key in the door and unlock it and go outside to the neighbor. 
<laughs> and, and I told the the um, the crash teacher this, and she was horrified with me. I had a call with me, and oh yes, <laughs> all the rest of it. <laughs> and uh, you know, of course, my philosophy is very clear, and I made it very clear to them what I was doing and how I was doing it, and then they left me alone completely. <laughs> but. Um, <clears throat> Uh, you know, the kids can handle a lot more responsibility than a lot of people think of much earlier than they think. And especially in this day and age, and yeah. it's important to give them, I mean, I don't have a bedtime, uh, never have, never will. Uh, the only thing is I say to my daughter, you've got to, um, have everything ready for school and you can watch on your tablet. So she gets everything ready for school. And then how much time have I got that? And then I get, to, I say any figure to her and it doesn't really matter what it is, but she's happy that she's got some time. I'm happy because she's got everything ready and she, you know, as soon as I say, let's go, it's, we just walk out the door. I've never been late. I've never been stressed. We walk 45 minutes to work to school every day and back. I, I have to walk back and she walks back um, after school. Um, but you know, it's, it's, it's really easy. I mean, it's a lot of people would say, what walks 45 minutes every day to and from school? Yes. <laughs> it wasn't unusual when yes. I was growing up. It's unusual now here in the U.S., but it wasn't unusual yeah. when I was growing up. I mean, I, I, I actually literally lived in a place where I had to go uphill to school both ways. I really did <laughs> because there was a hill at one end and there was a hill at the other end. So one way or the other, I was going up a hill. <laughs> mm. Yeah, and it's a very steep hill to to a school. Very steep. Um, yeah, so you know, if you if you give people a lot of responsibility, one or two things happens. They either hang themselves <laughs> with, with the rope that you've given them, or or, or they they climb up, climb up to the top. And uh, you know, if you do it measuredly, um, you get a kid that's. Strong and confident. I mean, Isabel, as you know, is is, is a really together kid. Um, mm -hmm. I trust her with my life, literally. <laughs> we experienced what totally like trust her because she, and I have she's... been able to do that for many, many years. And it, it comes across when you talk to her. I mean, she's mm. very quiet. She's well spoken, but she's very quiet. She's very measured, and she has adopted and 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 kind of. Um, Created, if you will, this personality for herself at a very young age. I mean, she, most people would say it this way. She is, she, she seems older than her years. She seems like an older person than, than she is in terms of years. Um, <laughs> that makes a, me laugh because I was watching her sit on the sofa over here watching TV and, uh, and, uh, she's sitting there with a crochet thing, crocheting, um, squares, which she's mm -hmm. made into a beautiful blanket. And she just, she's watching TV and crocheting. It's just like, there's granny. <laughs> you know, but you know, there's, there's, there's the thing <clears throat> that I discovered when I was clearing and drying my sister washed. No, I dried and put away my, my sister cleared the table and washed. So this was a routine we went through religiously every single day two times a day <clears throat> and i found it that was the first time in my life i started meditating because everything was so automatic my whole mind could just relax go off and i'd have this physical routine that i could do and my mind was just completely spinning out and and, and free and and relaxed and just because of the routine, I knew exactly where everything went. I knew exactly how to dry it. I knew exactly where the spare towel was if it got too wet. You know, we didn't have dishwashers in those days. Um, we did. So, <laughs> so what my daughter's now doing when she's crocheting, watching TV, she's going into that meditative state, which a lot of people don't even have any awareness of or have any idea of. So, of course, I, I ask her to be a little more aware of these kind of things um, just so she knows what she's doing and, and, and what's happening, you know. But, again, she could disagree with it or agree with it as, as she chooses. But it's it's just a process where, 
if you if you give your kids chores to do, they can become meditative in it because it's you know it's a daily routine which they can allow their mind just to spin out and relax. And you don't give them those routines and they're just sitting there watching TV all the time or et cetera, getting fed by external input stimuli. Then, you know, they're reliant on, on that the whole time. So, um, but again, you know, TV is not necessarily a bad thing. Um, you know, she's crocheting in front of, in front of it. So she's, she's doing two things at once and the TV is not really that important. You can see she's like goes up and turns it off after a while. Um, but if you don't give them these different tasks to do, then they don't have that opportunity to have this meditativeness, which would be called mindfulness probably in, in, in the new language, which they seem to be like, uh, which I'm not very fond of, but, um, there is a place for it, I suppose, mindfulness. I think it's okay. higher. We would call that low thought activity, wouldn't we? It's just mm-hmm. like, it's oh, that okay. low thought that you could mm. just mm-hmm. get yourself to a place of neutral. Which, you know, the big secret to getting in contact with source energy or your non-physical part of who you are is stilling thoughts. And as Abram says, it's easier to teach somebody to still the mind than to focus consistently on what they want. And if you really get that, and it's a, it's a very subtle thing that they said once that I heard, and I never forgot it. If you can actually get that, it's so powerful. Spend a little bit of time every day stilling the mind. Now, if, if do, do this experiment, it's really, really fascinating. Try it. Sit down for an hour and just let your thoughts go wherever they want to. And after that hour's up, write them down. (laughs) Okay? Then give them to a good friend of yours and tell them somebody else wrote this. What do they think about it? (laughs) And you will see how mad you are. Okay, don't tell them it was you because <laughs> they're not going to be one of your friend anymore. <laughs> so I take it you've actually tried this experiment. Yeah, long time ago. Yes, it was somebody gave me this exercise many, many, many years ago. Well, once was but enough. Now I've I've actually noted that I. Um, I think in terms of philosophy, almost continuously, as you can probably imagine. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. <laughs> so when I look at my thoughts now, they, 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 in terms of a philosophical nature, if I did this, how would this work out? How does the universe work? How, how what are the rules of it? How, how do things, how do breaks down? How, how, it, how will this base core philosophy work in my life? And how will it spread out to everyday practical implications and effects, et cetera. So, yeah, that's all. That's basically the, the length and breadth of my thoughts when I stop to think, um, when I become aware of them and meditate, et cetera. They're all very – somebody once said, a very wise man in my mind, <clears throat> he said, when you're starting to think in terms of philosophy and concepts more than anything else, then you are becoming the words in my old language, spiritual. Interesting idea. I mean, I'm thinking about it in terms of my own experience in life. And for me, my experience was kind of the other other way around. Uh, Because I was thinking philosophically from a very young age, what I wasn't doing is introspection. Okay. Define the difference between introspection and... Because philosophy is really a way of describing what it is that's going on in your thought process and ultimately in your life. But introspection is more about what's going on within yourself rather than in your life. Mm -hmm. In other words, what's going on inside? What's mixing up and doing handstands and whatever else that it does? And what you described is how... I'm kind of making an inference here because you didn't really say the second part here, but... Um, 
you kind of inferred that you went through, you've gone through a whole series of life explorations in your life um, that were basically introspective and that led you to understand all kinds of things from how much you value water and how much you value food and how much you value thoughts and how much you value. I mean, there's like a list of things that you've mm. gone through um, that you've learned along the way. Um, and then after having gone through that, then you reached a stage where you started becoming philosophical, whereas I did it in exactly the opposite direction. I started with philosophical and I started working my way more and more toward understanding how things are important to me and how, and, and what is going on inside of me? What are my values? How am I responding? How am I feeling about that? I, I went the opposite direction. Nothing, I would, I'm not saying one's I, wrong. I would, right. I'm just saying it's just would, interesting. Two different ways of doing it. No, I would say I did the same as you, but I used the wrong words. Oh, okay. Well, I don't think they were wrong, but okay. Well, just, just for clarification, the, the way you described introspection, that's really what I'm doing now. It's not philosophy. I don't like the word philosophy because it, in, um, it kind of implies a level of intelligence or intellect, which I don't have a lot of time for. Um, <laughs> that's uh, all right. I totally understand that part because when I was studying <laughs> the great philosophers, I found I didn't have any time for them either. So it's <laughs> Yeah, I remember going to, you remember I went to um, Speaker's Corner in London. Oh, yes. To chat to them. And the one thing I really got completely annoyed with and pissed off was that they wouldn't even speak to you because you didn't understand all the other philosophers and philosophies. Therefore, you weren't up to scratch. Therefore, right. you know, and I was just like, this intellectual bullshit, if you can't explain it simply, it's rubbish. You know, <laughs> then, you know, then it, if it's too complicated, it's not a philosophy that's practical and I'm put in my life and it's useful. So pff, go away. <laughs> um, but there were others I could chat to, but you know, there's these real intellects down there. Um, and they understand all the different philosophies and they link them together to try and explain who and what they wanted to say at that moment in time. But I landed up getting more confused than anything. And when somebody's teaching me something and I'm getting more confused, it means they're not clear in their minds. And I get that very clear sense with books at the moment. I'm reading, listening to some audio book, audio books. And if the, if the author is not very clear in his mind, it comes across in that paper so clearly like black and white for me. And I just can't handle it. I just, next book, this guy's not clear about what he's saying. <laughs> Gone. And so, you know, those kind of things become clearer and clearer and clearer to you is to, is clarity and lack of clarity, um, becomes a stark contrast in, in the way people present themselves, et cetera. Yeah, that is true. I agree with that. that it, it's funny too how, um, the kind of, because I, I know the kind of philosopher you're talking about. I, I had many of them as college professors. And the way that mindset works, it's basically like you're either in a club or you're not in the club. If you're in the club, then, oh, you're okay. If you're not in the club, then, well, it's time to look down the nose a little bit to see, okay, who is it? What is this little piece of slime that crawled into our neighborhood? I mean, it, I'm describing it a little bit extremely, but it's not hmm. all that far from the truth. It's not it, all it's that Society far latched onto that and has grabbed it and, and raised and flo flown the banner of intellect. They have, um, you know, if, if you're intellectual, then, then you've done well for yourself. You know, if you get a degree, then you've done well for yourself. If you, you know, and that is just such, I always, always thought coming, coming from Africa where, you're trying to understand the black African, and I read a book recently on it, um, their beliefs. Mm -hmm. And they believe in their ancestors. Mm. So they have all these rituals to keep their ancestors' vibration active and alive. And if they didn't celebrate them, then eventually they died out. And then they couldn't reach out to... Um, that ancestor but it's so foreign and so different to the western idea so in my upbringing in south africa you know the blacks didn't prepare for tomorrow you'd give them the money and they'd go spend it and by the next day they had nothing you know there was no preparing or, or, or you know keeping the money for uh, pensions etc that was just 
like the weirdest idea. The pension was you had lots of kids and they looked after you when you were, when, when, when you were old. So, and, and then I was the, the Westerner looks down upon that. You know, how stupid can you be? Stupid being the appropriate word here. The intellectually not clever. Um, and then you started seeing it for what it was. These guys were living in the present. They were living in the now and trusting in, 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 in the universe and all the rest of it. And, you know, it just, it's just like such a dimensional shift and change to understand where they are and where you are and who's actually right and who's wrong and where do you want to go in relation to these two massive contrasts, um, et cetera. And it was, it's a very interesting journey. I can tell you that. You, you, you mentioned two words there that I also find interesting, and I find actually to be troublesome any time that one starts talking about something philosophical, something being right and something being wrong. Mm-hmm. The reason I say that it's very troublesome where philosophy is concerned is that, from my experience, in any given philosophy, that which agrees with the philosophy is right, and anything that disagrees with the philosophy is wrong. Mm-hmm. So right and wrong becomes, do you agree with me? <laughs> that's a that's a problem (laughs) it certainly doesn't work rationally and it's much more of an emotional okay so how are you feeling about what you're thinking about in your mind and and how people are responding to you rather than is this philosophy actually helpful to you or to me or to anybody else it it could be quite problematic to have those terms in there just thought i'd throw that in there because that's been my experience with philosophy yeah, I mean, when I'm talking about my philosophy or my belief or how you want to look at it, it, it philosophy or, or belief is, is very much a, an individual thing. And mm-hmm. all the problems and all the wars in the world are getting somebody else to believe what you believe. Yes. Yeah. In the family, in the religion, in the society, doesn't matter where, in the politics, in the country, when you go and force somebody else to believe that this vaccine is good or bad when you want to force them, give them passports, make them have passports and restrict them from going like I was in Austria to go to restaurants, etc. Cause I didn't have my jab. Um, then you are starting to create a war. You're starting to force your belief structure that this is what you must do onto somebody else. And that is the beginning of a war. Mm, it's true. It's the beginning of and many. If you look things. at Australia, all, you can see the wall brewing hugely. <laughs> oh, I can see the wall all over the place. There, there are lots of walls. Exactly. Right you don't now. have to go to Australia. It's true. No. <laughs> I, I try actually not to look at all those sources that tell me about the walls because they'll just drive me nuts. <laughs> but uh, yeah, because there's plenty of them out there right now. And, and they, but they seem to can be a world, this, this is the question which they will ask you can a world live if everybody does what they believe is right? I don't know that they'll ask that question. It's the question that they should be asking. It's the question they should be asking, yes. <laughs> I'm not sure that they're actually going to ask that one. Mm. But it, it's the right question to ask, and it leads to some uncomfortable answers. Mm. It's, it's a very interesting question. question. Yeah. I mean, to me, the answer is yes, but that's going to scare the daylights out of a lot of people. <laughs> Well, you know, I believe we all live in our own little universes, in our own worlds. So I'm very comfortable with the idea that we do. Mm. And we do it even if we believe it or not, if we want it or not, if we agree with it or not. (laughs) We actually do it. (laughs) I think that's one of the reasons I appreciate and value the concept known as law of attraction. Because Mm. once with, with that understanding, then I can be confident, I can feel confident that no matter what the experience is, no matter what the circumstances are, no matter what the lifestyle is, I don't have to experience it if I don't choose to. Now, that doesn't mean that that's easy. It just means the opportunity is mine to decide. And yeah, I might I might find that I've got my own crap to work on in order to get there, but I can get there. And because of that, it doesn't really matter that there are people building walls. It doesn't really matter that there are people who are insisting that they sh- that I should think the way they do. It doesn't really matter that any of that's going on, because you're living all- in your own world and you can, you you you've got enough awareness and enough power to create it 
the way you want it, even though everybody's credit all around you. And or if you put it another way, I have more confidence. I have more confidence that I can live that way, the way that you describe it. When I was in Austria, I wasn't allowed to ski because I didn't have, um, I wasn't double jabbed. So I couldn't go into ski lifts. And when you go pay for the ski lift, you have, they, they check your double jabbed, um, status. So, um, I wasn't able to go to restaurants. So I sat a lot of time in the room when walking around the place, um, uh, ate my bananas and peanuts, which I'm doing at the moment, um, as my staple diet, um, as an experiment. Um, I'm thinking about that as you're talking. Meditated yeah, and, okay. <laughs> Um, you, what I do is, um, I take the nuts, uh, buy organic nuts, and then I, um, soak them in water because you want to activate them or get rid of the toxins that are on any nut, seed, or grain. Um, what happens is to protect itself from getting eaten up by all bugs, <clears throat> it creates a bit of a poison around it. And when you soak all these things in water for a while, um, usually overnight, uh, and, and then dry them out, then you get rid of that active component that, 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 that act, you know, um, I always used to get this, and I still do, this horrible aftertaste in my mouth when I have nuts. And it really annoys me. So if I if I activate the nuts and, and put them through this process of of um, soaking them in my purified water, you know, my water, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and then you drain them off and you dry them out, um, we've got a dryer. Then you don't get that that uh, that that aftertaste anymore. And I love them. You know, I really really like them. So if you want. Uh, to go on the peanut and banana diet, I advise you to look after your nuts quite carefully. <laughs> I'll keep that in mind. <laughs> and it's not a diet. It's just really a way of eating. Um, and I'm always experimenting with my body, so that's what I'm playing with at the moment, seeing <laughs> twice a day if I can eat banana and nuts and survive. Um, my is <laughs> How's it going so far? Well, you're still breathing. <laughs> Um, that's an interesting test. Can I survive doing this? Because there's only one result that can disprove it. And well, exactly, okay. I'll be dead. <laughs> <laughs> what what I meant is last rather than survive, I suppose. Oh, oh okay. <laughs> <laughs> Stay the course. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I'm really, really enjoying the nuts. I can tell they are delicious. <laughs> I have to say we're okay. nuts ourselves because we started off with what my weekend was like, and we're now on bananas and nuts and how we got there. <laughs> oh, I didn't have. We're going bananas. <laughs> we're going bananas. <laughs> so whenever I need to uh, kind of bring back, bring everything back into balance, I figure where's my best balance point? Right now I think my best balance point is Anne-Marie. So Anne-Marie, I'm going to come to you, and I'm going to ask you very simply, what do you take away from today? And where do you go with it? What do I take away from today? What I take away from today is that I think I had an aha moment when we were on about your mind settling and thinking about those thoughts. And my thoughts are always, you guys get philosophical. My thoughts are like, you've got this to do, you've got this to do, you've got this to do, you've got this to do. Um... And yesterday I noted when I was having these thoughts that my brain was going, write this down, focus on this. So I think for me, what I've got from this is there's levels of growth out of everything and just to observe yourself growing. And I think if we've just observed you growing, having that growth moment in the fact that you identified your transgressive triggering, it was a mucky moment, but you got through it. And you learn something. And I just think for me, just today just feels all about growth and noticing it. See, I knew that was the balance point. I could just tell it was right yeah. there. And thank you for delivering it. That was beautiful. <laughs> well done. Thank you. 
you, you, you are now officially part of the intellectual society. Congratulations. That's good. That's, that's <laughs> I honestly, I could just sit and watch you two talk all day. It's just, it's so I think we could watch each other do it all day, to be perfectly honest. But, yeah, I know. <laughs> but this has been fun. So anyway, thank you guys very much. And thank you to our podcast listeners everywhere. We'll see you all next time here on LOA Today. Goodbye, everybody. Take care.